Okay, Johnny, we just had an amazing conversation with Scott Barry Kaufman. I know we were both uh, super excited to have this chat with him. So for our listeners, um, Scott's a really prolific academic. Um, he's a humanistic psychologist, but he's an expert, uh, an expert in all sorts of things, behavioral science. He has taught at UPenn, Columbia, Yale. He uh, has founded and runs the Center for Human Potential. He runs the number one psychology podcast in the world by the title of The Psychology Podcast. And he's authored, I think, 10 plus books, uh, many of them bestsellers, his most recent being Transcend, which walks readers through the new science of uh, self-actualization and update on Abraham Maslow. So mm -hmm. awesome conversation, highlights for you. Wow. Um, I mean, he was our kind of most dissenting voice about flourishing, which I love to hear. He was, yeah, was you know, very critical about what flourishing is and, and whether it should really be the true aim of life. And he was defending the idea that growth and self-actualization are really the things that we should be aiming for. And he gave various reasons for that. I also loved his kind of fourfold account of human potential that had four strands to it and his new vision for education is aiming towards self-actualization. What about you? Yeah, absolutely agree. I mean, you know, the education piece was particularly interesting, um, but I just, I really liked that even though he was dissenting and, and disagreeing in terms of vernacular, we were really all talking about the same sort of stuff and on the same page around like, how do we help people be their best selves, feel good, do good, and whatever we call that, we call that, right? And so he has a lot of great stuff to add to the conversation. And I think our listeners will love it. So here we go. Our chat with Scott Barry Kaufman. SBK. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> how you guys doing? Doing all right. How are you doing? I'm super chill. Yeah. Good. First of all, John, Scott, Scott, John. Hi, John. Nice oh. to meet you. It's an honor, Scott. Our center, by the way, is now called the Center for Human Potential. Okay, great. <laughs> Shorten it. Easier. <laughs> I'll have to remember that going much easier. Roll, rolls off the tongue. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. How are things going with that? Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good, if I don't say so myself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, yeah, we've got lots of things going on. Great. Awesome. So let's start here. I mean, I, I know you're super busy these days. Um, tell us what you got going on. Tell us what you're excited about in your world. I'm really excited about a book I have coming out this year. It's called Choose Growth. And in a lot of ways, it's my own post-traumatic growth moment because my book Transcend came out April 2020, um, right at the start of a global pandemic. So my mother read it, but that was about it. And then I read it. We read it. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's awesome. Um, but this is this is really a, a continuation of those ideas yeah. in a real practical way. It's a workbook. I co-authored it with a doctor, uh, Dr. Jordan Feingold. Uh, and we try to really help people uh, not only through the, the COVID era, but grow from it, really help them see greater possibilities for maybe what we've what they've gone through the past couple of years. So I'm very excited about that. We're gonna we're going all out with like a choose growth campaign. We're gonna like get hats made that say choose growth and just like go all out, you know. I'm gonna roll up to the you know Gold's gym with my choose growth hat, like, let's get it, you know. Yeah. So Really excited we'll have to have that. you back on when the book actually launches. Oh, we can wonderful. do some gear giveaways and all that. Wonderful. I'd love to introduce you to Jordan. She's great. Yeah, she's my co-author. If she was on the show as well, that'd be great. Yep. Um, also really excited about a new form of coaching I'm creating called self-actualization coaching. Uh, I see a real gap um, in the coaching field 
for the latest science of human potential to really inform uh, the kind of coaching that one does. Um, and, uh, the, and I consider human potential the uh, intersection of four fields, cognitive science, developmental psychology, positive psychology, and humanistic psychology. So I see it as broader than than positive psychology. I, I see uh, a modern. Uh, I'm trying to kind of get out there a modern day human potential movement grounded in science um, that uh, draws from the best ideas we have across different disciplines. Great. Yeah. Where where can people find out more information about that course? Uh, Humanpotential.co uh, has all the information about the center. Uh, and if you want just everything you've ever want to know about SBK, you can go to scottberrykaufman.com. That's my personal website. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Beautiful. We'll, we'll put both those in the show notes. So yeah. You like how I talk about myself third person? You <laughs> 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 might keep that piece in. I like it. It's endearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, so... Um, Wow. I love that John's response to like everything <laughs> I just said was, wow, who is this guy? <laughs> oh, no, I've, I've heard your voice so much on so many podcasts uh, that this is, this is just, this is kind of disorientating. It's like, oh, wow, I'm actually hearing this in real life. This is yeah. weird. It's great. Am I on uh, brand? Am I, is my humor on brand? It's, it's on point. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> on brand and on point. I'm not sure what the difference between them is, but it's both. Me neither. Um, so this, this, this four characteristics of human potential, this quadripartite definition of human potential, this connects really well with something I, I want to ask you, um, Scott, which is um, I'm trying to figure out the link between humanistic psychology and, and human flourishing. And, you know, um, you lay primary importance on taking into account the wholeness of a person in your work, right, to help them reach their full potential. And that, that seems to be a key theme in, in Transcend. Yeah. And some accounts of flourishing define flourishing in terms of the wholeness of our well-being. So, for example, the human flourishing program at Harvard define flourishing as a state of complete well-being, a state in which all aspects of a person's life are good. And all the dominant theories of flourishing include fulfillment of potential among the kind of key criteria. So would you say that humanistic psychology is really at its core concerned with human flourishing, given this broad view you have of the wholeness of a person and of, of human potential, and if so, what would you say is the account of flourishing that emerges from humanistic psychology, or at least your your version of humanistic psychology and your work in humanistic psychology? Oh, it's a wonderful question. I think it depends a lot on how one defines the word flourishing, but I don't view humanistic psychology as very much concerned with flourishing, quite frankly. Um, mm. I don't think the humanistic psychologists, if we resurrected them from the 60s, they would even... Uh, they would resonate deeply with that word. Um, they had a whole different set of words they used, a whole different vocabulary. Um, words such as growth, um, creativity, um, meaning, uh, humanitarian purpose, spirituality. Now, maybe you would argue that those things I just mentioned are part and parcel of flourishing. And if so, then yes, I can see a link. But I don't see, I guess the way I conceptualize or think of flourishing is, is just not uh, the, the, the primary concern of humanistic psychologists. It's, it's you know, wholeness, uh, you know, and, and being experientially alive um, and being living a, a very fulfilling life. 
mm-hmm. um, is is the is the is the major concern of psychologists. But again, it really of humanistic psychologists. But again, it it really does come down to your definition. I'd love to ask you guys what your definition of flourishing is. Well, so, so I was going to flip it right back to you because you've mentioned that a couple times. So I'm well, happy to share ours with you. But but why don't you go first? Tell us what you think flourishing means. Well, when I think when I hear the word flourish, I just think of Martin Seligman's book. Hey, Marty, yeah. Right. Because he had a book called Flourish, right? And and uh, I link it so much to the Marty brand. Yeah. So maybe you can unpack that for me a little more and kind of separate well, it. Well, yeah, so it's interesting, right? Because you see this word, I think, a, a bit more and more. And, you know, John and I are sitting here doing this, this show um, in concert with the Human Flourishing Program at Harvard, Right. But they're taking a pretty different approach to it than Marty does. Right. The model is different than PERMA. Um, I think some of what um, this, the, the program itself is focusing on in terms of research and science is a bit different. I think there's John, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it's a bit more humanities focused. Right. You're going to see a lot more, I think, religious texts, philosophical texts, those mm. sorts of things. What do you think, John? Yeah. Um, well, so. The Human Flourish Program at Harvard draws upon the resources of positive psychology sure. and adds other domains to them, but also doesn't include certain domains that are in the, the PERMA theory of well-being. But their methodology is the same. The methodology with Aristotelian accounts and positive psychology and the Human Flourish Program is the same. They all look for the things in life that human beings pursue as ends in themselves mm. and argue that to live your best life, you need to kind of maximize how much you're, you've got those things in your life, but then disagree on what those things are. Right. So, for example, the human flourishing program doesn't include engagement or accomplishment among its domains. Oh, interesting. Yeah, no flow. <laughs> no flow That's in there. But, really but it does include character and virtue. I mean, if positive psychology includes, you know, character strengths, but not so much virtue unless you build that into character strengths. And it includes mental and physical health, uh, the human flourishing program too. So it's a bit more like PERMA plus H, that model you get from Geelong Grammar School, for example. I think there's, in in that way it's defined, I mean, it's it's obviously very important. I'm not anti-flourishing. I think... you one one can languish. It's a mental health continuum. I really like Corey Key's work, and that makes a right. lot of sense to me. That that on you can be languishing. Um, you you, and that's clearly a state that you're not flourishing, right? So I do think, you know, it sounds good. <laughs> I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind flourishing. <laughs> Take some of that. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't mind flourishing. <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. But, you know, I don't know if everything is flourishing that is valuable and good in the world. And um, it, it, it's tricky because you uh, you put so – if you put so much under a single umbrella, then the word does kind of lose its meaning, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and also if you start standardizing it and say like, well, you're only flourishing if you got – if you're high in these five things. Right. You know, so that means like, you know, Mary over there who's got like two of those things and she feels like she's flourishing. You're like, you're not really though. You know, like you don't trust your inner experience. You know, like you got two of the five on our list. And I'm not saying you guys are like this at all, but I'm just, sure. I'm just, I'm bringing up some of the potential sort of pitfalls. Yeah. yeah. Of thinking of it. Although as, as I, as I understand the kind of key figures in this movement, none of them seem to want to make that claim. Like Marcy never wanted to make that claim, right? That. You have to have all five criteria in PERMA. You can just live the meaningful life. You're, you've got a deeply meaningful life, but, you know, your relationships, well, I suppose it'd be odd just, if you, 
or just a flowy life. Yeah. Or just a flowy life, right. His his Ted talk his 2005 Ted talk. He talks about his friend Len who, who really just was in flow all the time and happy as could be. Mm. Yeah. Let's, let's really examine this because that, then why do you create scales? Why the perma scales, right? Like you are actually saying that you're quantifying, you're attempting to quantify and say, okay, person A scores higher in flourishing than person B based on this scale that's measuring these five things. I think that's why, personally, I like focusing on self-actualization. And again, this is just me. (laughs) This is just me, folks. Do Um, you measure it? Do you try to measure self-actualization? The thing with that is I I do have a self-actualization scale, but the thing with that is that the information I present is people's top three sources of self-actualization. The point is that it's it's so idiosyncratic to the person. And what I want to do is use instruments and tests and measures to get to find out each person's idiosyncratic creative potential versus using scales like IQ tests or even even perma tests, yeah. dare I say. Um, it's just my own philosophy. Um, it's my philosophy of education as well, right? I don't think it's like, how do we use these tests? What's the purpose of it? How are we interpreting the results on these tests? I think these kinds of questions are important to explore. I don't yeah. have all the answers. Yeah. So you, I mean, we should just di- direct listeners. You have your own website, selfactualizationtests.com, in which people can take I do. Them. I do. And it'll tell you what your top sources of self-actualization are. And, and that's a great starting point for coach for self-actualization coaching. You know, because you could be like, great, let's start with where you're at. I'm not here to say like, okay, here I've read the results and your PERMA score is 3.5, so you ain't flourishing. You know, <laughs> it's like, no, instead, it's a different in framing. Does that, does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And it's, a, and it's an important point you raise, like, um, that it, it is interesting that certain uh, theories of flourishing measure flourishing, but don't say that there's a particular threshold you need to meet to flourish. So I'm not aware that there is some... Uh, number. If you you know if you take any of the questionnaires on the That's authentic true. happiness website from That's UPenn, true. it never tells you you reached seven point eight out of ten. Therefore, you're flourishing. It just says you got you point seven point eight, and you're pretty low on the relationship score, but pretty high on the engagement side. And if you do the the questionnaire for the human flourishment at Harvard, you, you get a score, but it doesn't tell you therefore you're flourishing. You know, you're absolutely right, but it, it would say, you know, like you are deficient in engagement or you're deficient in happiness. And I suppose my way of thinking is that it's up to the person to decide whether or not a deficiency is a lack of flourishing in Mm -hmm. their life. You know, you can look at like attachment style questionnaires, right? Some people score high in avoidant avoidant attachment and there's kind of this narrative that that's like means they're deficient because they're not Mm -hmm. secure. But when you look at the data a little bit more heavily, you find that those who score high in avoidant attachment style actually tend to be more satisfied with their lives. Uh, yeah. The ones that want it. They're like, yeah. you know what? I don't, I don't actually need relationships to make me happy. It, it's so self-actualization to me is so, and that's just the perspective at Lens I bring today. So look, I bring this with all love and, and open communication. That's just my perspective is that I think it's really all about uh, peering as deeply in possible into a person's own needs that that they tell us as opposed to us telling them. Well, th- this is a really important thread, I think, to pull on because you and I have chatted about this before. I've heard you mention it on other podcasts, just the importance of respecting and honoring individual differences, 
right? Yeah. And this is something Huge. we haven't necessarily teased out a lot of, I think, John, on the show just yet. You know, we talk about the frameworks we have on experts. It's It could probably come across a little dogmatic, but we need mm. to acknowledge the opportunity, I think, for nuance and differentiation in the, the human experience of flourishing. While we also try to acknowledge these things yeah. that really matter, as you do in Transcend, right? Like, whether we're talking about flourishing or self-actualization, like there's these components that there's really interesting synergy with across different models of just a good life, right? Absolutely. I mean, I love the project you guys are working on and your heart, it's obvious your heart is in that place, right? So that that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to dig a bit further on this because this is, this is fascinating. Um, I mean, did I blow your mind? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just a really important area to discuss. I mean, um, let's say we we avoided measuring flourishing. Now, it's worth pointing out there is one uh, influential um, uh, theory of flourishing put forward by the, a place called the Jubilee Center for Character and Virtues in the UK, and they're very much against measuring flourishing. They develop a neo-Aristotelian view, and very much against measuring, you know, aspects of character. Um, but let's say, um, aside, putting that aside for a moment, um, let's say we we said, okay, we, we can't really measure flourishing, but nonetheless we want to measure all the things that you might argue are part of flourishing, <laughs> like how meaningful a person, a person finds their life or how much growth a person's experienced in, in, or how much self-actualization they've experienced, Scott. We then seem to have a problem if we were measuring each of the areas, you know, if we use scales for measuring flow, for example, um, well, then it seems pretty obvious, you know, following from that, okay, well, if we're measuring all the areas that, arguably make up what it means to live a good life. Why couldn't we just measure the whole? So how do you think we resolve that tension? My view is a pretty non-conformist view on the matter because if one's goal, and I think I I am a minority view on this and I'm okay with that, but I think if one's goal is to help people become whole and, and have integration of their whole self, for their, so they can have the highest powers and kind of feel like an integrated unit. I think we need to move away from a model that that pre-designates these list of things as flourishing, and then aren't you then aren't you saying all these other things are not flourishing, right? Like you're saying like, well, well and also I, I don't like posit- the, the distinction between positive and negative emotions. I don't like yeah, that. Sure. You know. So my the the philosophy and perspective I bring at the table today is just a different perspective, but it's one where I would actually like to see the field move away from these lists, you know, of yeah. like these are the lists of things that are flourishing. Because how do you know? ahead of time that like feelings of, you know, you let's say you're really anxious and uncomfortable and then you, you make the growth choice to just give it a try for three months. How do you know that you don't really get outside your comfort zone so much that you grow and then it becomes meaningful, right? Mm-hmm. So like so a lot of things in my life have not started out meaningful sure. and have started out, in fact, I've been terrified of them. And then meaning grows. So I don't know what to do with all that. But I'm just saying, uh, I guess that's why I'm wary about having these models um, that, uh, that that kind of have like, well, these things are are in the bucket of flourishing and these things, and then everything else, part of human existence isn't. Because in my way of thinking about wholeness, every sing- and creativity, I've written about this a lot in the creativity yeah. domain, is that creative people use every aspect of their existence as fodder for creativity. 
Yeah, I mean, somewhat related to this. So pretty early on in the series, we we had a chat with Todd Cashton. You and Todd know each other? Do I? Do, do Todd, oh, Todd I was just on. He was just on for the art of insubordination. Todd's right? my brother, yeah, yeah, yeah. man. Todd's yeah. my brother, man. I love yes. him. So yeah. like we, we you know, you can imagine what we talked. We wanted to chat about <clears throat> art of insubordination. We did a bit, but we also went back to, you know, this. I love the title of, of um, their book, right? The Upside of Your Dark Side. Yeah. And I think you have threads of that throughout Transcend as well, which is Absolutely. what I'm hearing coming back up here. Oh, absolutely. Uh, oh, man, I love Todd's work and um, and also Robert Biswastiner's work, who was yeah. his co-author on that book. Um, yeah, I'm really glad that they introduced that into the field um, of positive psychology. And uh, and I think that we need more of that. I also love Todd's new... I'm not here to... I'm not getting paid here to start <laughs> plugging all of He'll Todd's work. He'll appreciate it. But he, he will appreciate it. Uh, what did you say, John? I said, no, I just said disclaimer alert. Oh, disclaimer Sorry. alert. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, but yeah, um, his new book uh, is great too because I think we need more... Uh, yeah, I'm being a little bit insubordinate today, you know, in this call, right? Like you all are like... It's great. The flourishing center. And then I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about the flourishing. Uh, no, we want this. So, we want dissenting voices. Absolutely. Here. Well, and it, it's with love and respect. And uh, I, I respect you guys deeply. So it's coming from that place. Yeah. Now, like like you said, Scott, in a recent interview, I, I heard between you and Arthur Brooks. Arthur Brooks, we're interviewing him soon as well for this podcast. Wonderful. You said you wouldn't want to live in a world where... Well, you and him both agreed you would, you would hate to live in a world where people all were agreeing with each other all the time. That'd be yeah. really dull. Yeah, yeah it's, it's true. Important to have disagreement. It's, it's so true. Um, Nick, I feel like I've been digging in too much to the measurements. So, do you? Oh, no, it's great. I mean, it's it's you know what it. So you mentioned something here, SBK, about you know kind of moving away from lists, seeing the uh, the field. Yeah. Excuse me, kind of move away from lists, and I can't help but think about one of the primary takeaways from Transcend, which feels like a list <laughs> in, the form, in the form of a sailboat, yeah. right? Yeah, so I'm yeah, trying to reconcile totally. these in my head because I think totally. everything you put out in Transcend is so important, so helpful. Yeah. I recommend it to people all the time. I just had a couple clients recently tell me one in particular finished it around New Year and said it was completely life-changing. Wow. So, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to think about how these ideas fit together, right? And and what of that course. means for self-actualization and transcendence. Of course, now I would like to think, and and maybe I, I I'm deluding myself, but I would like to think that the sailboat metaphor I put forward is not a list, yeah. and and it should really not be viewed as a list. The whole point of the metaphor is that, you know, you're a whole operating unit that has to find a way of integrating these various parts of yourself in a way that works best for you, so that you open your sail. And you're moving in and traveling to the port that you want to travel to, that that you want to travel to, not that people can, tell you you need to travel to. Yeah. Can, can we rewind just for a second? Because you, mentioned, you, yeah, you mentioned the boat and the sail, and it occurs to me like people might not know what we're talking about if they haven't read your brilliant work. So would you just kind of walk people through the basics of the metaphor and the, the six components? Yes. So the sailboat metaphor um, includes the boat component of it, which um, are the basic needs that if you're so deficient in them, it, you'll feel like you're not staying afloat. So like the need for security, uh, need for connection, need for self-esteem. Yeah, and they actually operate as a, as a whole uh, whole unit. What you tend to find are people who score uh, low in one tend to score low in the other two. So if you're really uh, feeling insecure, I actually, in an earlier version of the book, I called it the insecurity cycle. 
It's kind of a mm-hmm. cycle, those three things. Uh, and you're not really going to be too focused on growth if you're if you're feeling really uh, unmoored or yeah uh, survival like, mode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but eventually, if you want to move anywhere, you do have to open up that sale and set your sights on something, some higher level goal, a goal that is higher level than just the satisfaction of those needs, those lower needs, right? Um, just that, you know, that I just want, I want to be safe. I want to not feel lonely. I want to not feel uh, uh, a lack of respect, right? Um, if we can kind of transcend those uh, those deprivations and enter what Maslow called the growth realm or the being realm of human existence, we can sail to a port that we want to sail knowing that we're all in the sea together. There are other people in the sea. That's important to know. Uh, there are consequences for how you treat other people on the, on the way to that goal. But also there are real deep implications for how the whole the whole unit is is properly integrated. How much care you take to all the parts of the of the boat. So I think the thing I wanted to emphasize is not a list. See the thing with the lists is that they're just it's like a, a list is like a buffet, right? It's just like all out there. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. just all, yeah. it's all hanging yeah. out there. Um, and I and and I would actually like to move the field more towards some some uh, you know north star of integration uh, as opposed to saying, well, here are the 12 things that are well-being. To me, that's a smorgasbord approach. Mm. Does that mm. make sense? I like that. It makes plenty of sense. Yeah, mm. that's really nice. Yeah, well put. Um, will you walk just that you mentioned the sale a couple times, those other three components? Mm. Oh, yeah, I didn't mention what those are. So the, the main components of the sale are uh, need for exploration, need for love, <laughs> which is like I, be love, love for the being of others. Like... Um, like and also, it's a nice play on words. It's like being love, not you, know, you are love. Yeah, it's not like doing love, right? You know, a lot of people will you know, say all sorts of things to, you know, they're like, "Oh, I'm saving the world. i my nonprofit is amazing. You know, give us money." And then their being is they're horrible humans. Do you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Yeah. No, I'm trying to make the point. Look, actually, being love is important. It counts. <laughs> it counts. Perhaps even more than doing love. Um, and then, um, and then, purpose and uh, having a pro-social uh, sort of calling in the world. Uh, so those three are a system as well, um, and they feed off each other. In really, and, and the importance is integrating those three. Again, the integration is the important thing here because, you know, like people like Hitler had a had a purpose, you know, um, but did he have be love? You know. Um, did he have? Was it I've got a cheeky yeah. grin on my face here because this um, uh, this just got brought up in our conversation with Emily as well. She talked oh, about Mimi. Wow. Yeah, and we awesome. had. Like, can't we? <clears throat> yeah, she. Well, she, she was making the point that maybe <clears throat> Hitler could have led a meaningful life, but not a flourishing life, and using that to wow. tee out tease out the difficult difficulty there. What would well, what would you let's put you two in conversation here, as it were? Yeah. These episodes. What 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 would you say about that that claim? To me, flourishing connotes something very selfish. Mm. To me, mm. I th- when I think flourishing, I think really rich billionaires on a yacht drinking wine while the world is burning around them, and they're saying, we're flourishing. <laughs> right. um, 
I guess I guess that's why I prefer transcendence. <laughs> it goes beyond that. Yeah. I like if you had if I had to pick two, you're like Scott. Do you want to do over here like a flourishing or transcendence? I'd be like transcendence. But I think that that's just what's coming up for me. Okay. And exactly. and I want to hear your thoughts because <clears throat> this is this is just what's coming up for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, we had a very interesting conversation with the philosopher Angie Hobbs. Uh, who's an expert on ancient Greek philosophy, who who talked about the dark side of flourishing, but in, in, a, in quite a different sense to that, um, because she was talking about, you know, the, the ancient Greek conception of flourishing, particularly with Aristotle. Well, there was a focus on Plato there, actually. But, you know, if we take the Aristotelian view, the idea is that to flourish, you fulfill your potential by cultivating character virtues. Uh, mm. And those get you towards a place of happiness and fulfillment of potential. But if you were to cultivate character virtues in, in the very demanding sense, Aristotle and those that follow the Aristotelian view of flourishing endorse, then flaunting your money in this arrogant, ostentatious way would be deeply vicious. You know, it, wouldn't, it would illustrate a lack of virtue, um, uh, you know, showing off wealth inequality and, and taking, you know, this... this um, self-aggrandizing sense of pride and having all but, this material wealth. I mean, he argues that money can't be or material um, possessions can't be what flourishing really is because that's a means to an end rather than end in itself. So, but John, one, yeah, you can you, one can show off their virtue too. Absolutely, that's a great point. So, with virtue signaling, uh, for example, um, there's a lot of that going around. Yeah, you, you. I'm sure you want to chat about that. We can get to that a little bit if you like. But just, just uh, having virtue that you show people is it's not enough either. But, yes. but, but I, I, I do hear, I do hear what you're. I hear what Aristotle was saying. I mean, look, I'm yeah, not. Yeah. No shade on Aristotle and his notion of flourishing. Um, well, what if we? Yeah. Um, yeah, so what if we well what if we said that okay to show off your virtue is to lack virtue, namely you you aren't humble enough, you're not showing enough humility. The truly virtuous person is the person who just loves being virtuous and sees it, you know, as an autotelic end, if you like, to to you know, take this in a kind of a a shik a shik sent Mahayan route here. Um that you you know see this as something it pursued just for as an end in itself. You don't really think about something beyond it. And the person that virtue signals is using virtue as a means to an end. You know, can't can't anything in life be a virtue in the right context? See, or I guess, like, like, I'm really trying to like um, challenge a lot of these preconceived notions that we say over and over again in the yeah. field, because yeah. because I have a philosophy that. You know, within the BD framework, it, it really blew my mind once I read Maslow's writings about this. And I've been trying to see the world in this different way, where I think every single thing in life has a D flavor to it, a deficiency motivated flavor, or a B a growth flavor to it. Mm. And again, are, isn't that just coming up with lists of like, well, these are the 10 virtues, and then all these other things aren't virtues? Again, isn't that list thinking as well? Um, so, for instance, aggression. I think that we're too quick to write off aggression. Be like, oh, that wasn't a virtue. Was Will Smith last night slapping mm. <laughs> Chris Rock? Uh, Growth-oriented aggression? No. I would argue that's deficiency-motivated <laughs> aggression. But, but, you know, like, there, there are examples of people integrating their 
aggression in such a way that it becomes a virtue because they do it principled. They do it in a way that um, leads to a movement of marginalized people getting an opportunity. Yeah. I just, you know, I guess that's just the, what I want to bring to the table is is kind of this B versus D framework. I'm just presenting a different perspective and uh, uh, just laying it out there for discussion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, there's, there's clearly, I think on some level, what we're talking about is value judgments, right? But it also goes back to something you mentioned earlier, distinguishing between the, you know, language like positive and negative versus pleasant and unpleasant, right? That there's not an an inherent sort of value of an emotion. Um, I do want to just quickly comment, because I loved your question, this idea of flourishing is selfish. And I, I guess the reason I don't necessarily think of it that way is, and it goes back to what you said, how do you define it? The way I define it, it almost always has to include meaning or purpose. And, mm. and I don't want to use those synonymously, although I know they always do or often are used synonymously. To me, like if it flourishing seems to be almost always right, inclusive of some sort of connection to something greater than the self. Yeah. At least my that's that's the way I'm interpreting a lot of the research and the writing, right? So I I don't I don't treat the two as separate necessarily. Right? Could you be a selfish jerk and flourishing? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, it goes back to individual differences. Maybe, but that's just not the way I conceptualize it. I, I do appreciate the early days, especially of positive psychology and some of the criticism around that field being too me-focused and not enough we-focused. Right? But I, I, I like to think we've sort of evolved our understanding of that a bit. I don't know. Maybe I don't have that right. No. I, I hear what you're saying, and I think that that I actually really appreciate that you're that you wouldn't uh, consider someone flourishing if they were causing great destruction to others, and that to me sounds like that's part of your definition. Yeah, it's it's, it's in your definition and conceptualization yeah. of flourishing, and I can I can rally around that definition of flourishing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I can I can. <laughs> <laughs> we we reached some agreement. No, I um. <laughs> I uh, I can I can definitely rally around that. I just want to know want you to know where I'm coming from. My perspective is informed uh, by a different kind of uh, set of things than a lot of people in positive psychology are informed by. Uh, mine are informed by my early childhood experiences and education, where who I was uh, was written off too soon as not part of human potential. Right. So, and, and all the kids in special ed with me, their, their unique ways of seeing the world, their unique wiring, their neurodiversity was automatically written off because of the lists that the teachers had. You know, like the educational psychologists had a list of what it means to be flourishing in school. And if you mind deviated from the list, you're put in special education and not right. given any opportunities in life. So, this is so the way I think is, is very much informed by not only my early childhood experiences, but also my work in the field of like twice exceptional children and right. um, uh, and special ed and giftedness. Does does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent makes yeah. sense. And um, you know, Nick and I are very passionate about education, and that's kind of one of the main areas, the main area we've we've both worked in, mm-hmm. and you know, both passionate about. It's in a similar spirit to you, changing the way in which education is done, messing it up. Messing it up. Yeah. Nick, Nick puts it that yeah. way, which is a much better way of putting it. He can pull up. Much I, the way I usually put it is fucking it up, but I don't. I don't know that we'll have to edit that one out. But fuck up the system. Yeah. 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 If I, if I try and if I try and talk this way, I just won't pull it off. So. <laughs> so. 
We could, um, you, pull, you could pull like a, 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 an Oscars uh, where they like they, they cut out all the audio of Will Smith talking last night on US TVs. But in Australia, they kept it uncensored, and in Japan, it was uncensored. But do you get you guys know what I'm talking about? Did you? I see haven't you, seen it yet. I, I heard about it on the radio. I haven't seen it. I've just heard that he hit. Uh, I saw Rock. that. Yeah, slapped, slapped. Yeah. When slapped. he when he say he hit, he said he slapped. He didn't punch. Slapped. Him. Slapped. Right. Slapped. Yeah. That's not. I'm not sure that's virtuous. That's not virtuous. <laughs> <laughs> I can I just tell a quick aside. He was defending his. He was defending his wife. Right. From an he insult. Would, he would view yeah. it as virtuous, probably. Uh, it depends on. Yeah. Exactly. That's. Yeah, he was defending his wife, but then defending his wife's honor. Yeah. yeah. What, what Nick? So I just, I just wanted to share a quick aside. I have a, a client who last week I met with them. We were talking a little bit about breathwork and amygdala and prefrontal, you know, cortex activity and whatnot. And, you know, just kind of like rationality and the logic center. And he texts me this morning and he goes, man, Will Smith's prefrontal cortex just flat out shut down, huh? And and put a little LOL on it. It's like, my man, you got it. You understand. And yes, yes, it did. Well, but to, to your point, Scott, maybe it didn't. Maybe he was completely rational. Maybe that was a, a virtuous, necessary act. It's it's very uh, complex. It'd be very easy to say it was just a amygdala hijacking. That would be the simplest explanation. But I think the reality gets deeper because when you're in his frame of mind as such a star with so many people putting him on such a pedestal, um, you could start to feel like you are above the system in some way, you know, and, and I think that's part of it. I also think you know, there's, there's a part of it where when you do certain roles as an actor, you can start to think you are that person. And interestingly enough, the role he played was the, the father protecting, you know, the family. Mm. And I imagine that there are a lot of things that all came together in that moment that, that kind of messed with his mind to feel mm. a compulsion that he had to do that. He, I, I, I suspect he felt a compulsion in that moment. All, all the do, way up, because what I was thinking about this morning was it's not like he was up there next to Chris Rock, heard it, and then just reacted. Like he had to walk up. He had, in a way, it's kind of a virtue signal, isn't it? In a way, he had to show a display that he that 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 he wouldn't let that go. That's not okay. Yeah, yeah. That's honor culture behavior, by the way. I mean, that's in the South, right? Isn't that stereotypical Southern honor culture behavior? Yeah, don't you don't disrespect, you know, dishonor my loved ones. I think a lot of cultures, yeah, but yeah, yeah, it's a, it it's it's a fascinating situation. Mm. Um, I'm sure he was genuinely upset. I mean, clearly, uh, I, I think all these things that. can be true at the same time. Yeah, 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 hundred yeah, yeah, percent. Yeah. 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 Let's um, John. Like Scott, we want to at some point chat education a bit and flourish. Yeah. Well, and you you sort of teed us up for uh, um to kind of go. You don't want to talk about Will Smith the whole yeah, time. So I don't know how <laughs> just we, before we, Will Smith. We started off. Oh no, it went with Nick. Nick. Nick swore obscenely on air, and it went down this route. Then about people slapping each other on stage. So uh, let's let's tie education. And yes, I've really enjoyed learning about your fascinating life and and childhood. Scott, in, in many listening to many podcast interviews with you uh, in, in prep for this show. I mean, I learned, for for example, you were a famous hacker as a child uh, for a little while. And, you know, that you were really, uh, the education system, you know, horrifically put you in a certain box that you were desperate to break out of and and did so, so powerfully. And, and that's been, it seems, a, a defining moment in your life in terms of what you devoted your life to. For example, 
reconceptualizing and broadening the concept of intelligence and creativity and also human potential. So, you know, we'd like to ask you about education, but um, first of all, I'd like to ask you a bit more about your account of human potential, how it relates to those things. Because you started off this whole conversation by saying you have this, these four parts that you you say, uh, you, in your definition of human potential, these four parts. And so you want to make it broader than it's usually taken to be, which seems to be like a, a central theme throughout your work, looking at key notions, intelligence, creativity, human potential, then broadening them and saying that we, we have these limiting conceptions of these things and, and it holds us back. And one of the most fascinating arguments I, I thought you made in Transcend was that you argue that limiting conceptions of what it means to fulfill our potential prevent us from fulfilling our potential. So the first question I'd like to ask is, what would you say it means then for a human being to properly fulfill their full potential? And from that, I'd love for us to go in the, the route about how education then can relate. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Easy one, huh? Oh, what does it mean for a human to fulfill their potential? Oh boy. Um, I haven't had enough coffee. <laughs> <laughs> we can go back to Will Smith and slapping each other. And can stuff we go back want. to Will Smith? <laughs> no. Or just um, dissing, just dissing, flourishing. <laughs> let's 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 jump into the education and then answer that question via that. Yeah. Yeah. So let's. Well, so the what, are, what, are, what are we not doing? Right. What are we not doing? Let's let's so, start there. What are we missing out on? Do you yeah, think? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think. That's so much. We're, we're not. We're not having a human-centered education system, and I think so much of helping people fulfill their full potential as a whole person is first and foremost treating them as a autonomous, independent human on this planet that has their own existence, and that comes with its own set of needs, basic needs as well as higher needs, and not neglecting the higher needs either. Right? Like sometimes people think that. Well, if we just check the boxes of their lower needs, they're going to just just automatically self-actualize, and and that 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 doesn't happen. It doesn't tend to happen. Yet it's like therapy, right? You know, if someone has is hugely anxious and saying, "Well, we have fulfilled your potential uh, once we get you from fifty ruminations to zero ruminations," as though that's all you need is that is to satisfy that one slice of you. So 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 a big part of that is is helping uh, children uh, satisfy multiple needs, not just one, uh, not just even just showing their knowledge of on a test. you know that that'd be like one slice of of a person, which is your ability to learn and your ability to to remember and memorize usually the way that a lot of these kinds of tests are. But going much, much deeper than that, to uh, to the lower need potentialities, but also the higher need potentialities. Like, what are your unique creative um, potentialities um, that only you, you and only you, bring to the table? You know, and uh, that's a question that isn't often asked of children to display. In fact, when they do display it, they get sent to detention. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you know what I mean? So I'm curious and. Listen, we maybe we'll include this in the show, maybe we won't, Scott. But you know, while I have you, I'm curious what you're doing in the world of education right now. Like, what are you thinking about? What are you chewing on? Because I know you want to make a dent, um, and and I do too. John does as well. Um, you just recently yeah. published, and feel free to tell the you know the audience about it a little bit your manifesto that was on the yeah uh, that what was it Ver- Versace? It was in a storefront. Am I getting that wrong? It was. Um... Louis oh my Vuitton. God. It was Louis Vuitton. It was Louis Vuitton. Louis Vuitton, yeah, Vuitton. which was pretty cool, right? So tell us a little bit about the manifesto and just 
what, you know, what projects do you have your eye on? What are you thinking about? What can we do? Yeah. I love the work you're doing, by the way, Nick. And I really look forward to finding out more about you, John. Uh, 100%. Um, but, Thank you. Uh, you know, you've been a big inspiration to me, Nick. I don't know if you know that. Um, big big inspiration for me and, and the way that you are, are in the trenches, on the ground, making changes to children's lives around a positive education framework is is absolutely in the right direction. And and, it, and it's no small task and it's it's not something that's very um, well replicated. <laughs> There's not, not lots of schools around the world who are following this model, right? So huge kudos. That's very kind yeah. of you. Your your ideas are informing things on the ground for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, I, John. I would absolutely love to stay in touch and find out more. Uh, for me personally, uh, I I would like to do what I can to uh, to move schools more towards a human centered education system that recognize the common needs that all children have in common, but also the unique creative potentialities of each child. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, as a path to that, I do have a vision of adapting this new form of self-actualization coaching that I'm developing, and we're going to initially pilot it with coaches, advanced coaches, um, to kind of uh, make sure that it's very high quality and that uh, you know, you know that there's there's real value there. Before I have confidence in scaling up, um, I get that's just like how how I like to work um, is iteratively. But ultimately, I do have a vision of of scaling up uh, this coaching sort of training program so that entire school districts, from the the principals to the school psychologists to the teachers to the parents. Yeah. Um, view themselves in life as their role is to be a self-actualization coach. Yes, please. Yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. Wow. And you that's, just hit something really dream. important, Scott, that's because like as somebody who, who has done a lot of this work, you yeah. when you start with the kids, you end up saying, well, hell, I wish the parents could be hearing some of this and doing yes. some of this, right? Yes. Or you start with parents or kids, whatever it might be, and the teachers need to be hearing some of this, right? There's an ecosystem, and it, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't work very well, at least in my experience, when we just kind of do it with one of the stakeholder groups, one of the constituencies. Yes, and it, it not it, the ecosystem metaphor is perfect, um, but also what you need is a shared language. So mm. it, do, it won't work if you just have the parents going to the school and saying, hey, I read Scott Barry Kaufman's article, you know, in Scientific American, and you need more uh, growth potentialities. You know, what are the teachers, their eyes yeah. are glazed over. Yeah. Like, what the hell is growth potential? But if you get everyone taking the same training program, everyone uh, getting understanding the latest science of human potential and the greatest uh, un and understanding of how to bring out the best in students, if they're all on the same page, then how many? How wonderful is that to have so many different people in a child's life who are on the lookout for the best in that child? Uh, it'll triangulate in beautiful ways. In, in This is what I'm predicting. <laughs> yeah, wow. I mean... Damn, I'd love to ask you a hundred questions on this. <laughs> I can imagine this being, I mean, I love the way you've, you've broadened the vision to be so holistic, involving parents and teachers mm -hmm. and so on. I mean, I think this is something that the flourishing education movement, that's a big place it still needs to go, that all the flourishing education movements are focused deeply, of course, primarily on the students, um, but haven't quite done enough yet to bring in the whole school, the teachers, the, the school, school leaders, like the parents. Place. 
I mean, we spoke to Jeff Duncan Andrade recently, who has a, 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 you know, a different but similar vision in that he, he envisages what he calls youth wellness involving the whole community and a school's relationship to its whole wider community in a, in a deep and meaningful way, which inevitably will involve the parents and the families. Well, I would love that. And I, would, and I want to share with him an unpublished essay that Maslow wrote, where Maslow said, we try to change a rose into a good rose rather than seek to change roses into lilies. It necessitates a pleasure in the self-actualization of a person who may be quite different from herself. It even implies an ultimate respect and acknowledgement of the sacredness and uniqueness of each kind of person. But he, but Maslow makes that rose um, metaphor in this unpublished essay. So I'd love to share that with him. Mm, love yeah. it, love it. That Such a botanical old. theme, it makes me think that flourish is maybe the appropriate word. But. Well, <laughs> hey, and that's fair. That's fair. But I, but actually, uh, Maslow, uh, what he said that people, uh, teachers, parents, therapists, we should view them as horticulturists. Ah, hmm. uh, that's that's the best way of thinking about them and helping uh, to get the, the sculpt the potential from. Them. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, I just put it on my my notes here. I'll connect you to um, sometime this week. That'd be great. Yeah. Well, it sounds like lots of synergy there. Um, but with the flourishing word, you know, it's um, we should definitely should keep up this conversation. Why do you like flourishing over growth? You know, um, growth to me is is growth, and that means something. Um, flourishing, you know, the the word flourish, by the way, one of the definitions of it is something added on uh, in some sort of artificial, superficial way. And so that's why that rubs me a little bit the wrong way as well, yeah. because I yeah. uh, I'm all about authenticity and about um, uh, uh, pulling the fat away from things to get you know in a horticulturist way. Um, but yeah, yeah and I'll, I'll say like I don't I don't know that I personally am tied to the word flourish, right? I like it better than, certainly than happiness, mm. right? Certainly more than well-being. So I think there's a, there's a behavioral component. There's a, there's a functioning component, right? Mm. But if you were to make arguments as you have about transcend self-actualization, I could be convinced of those too, right? Like what I'm after, I think ultimately this is just the me perspective is that good life where people are crushing it, kicking ass, generally feeling good, there's a richness. They're experiencing a lot of what life has to offer, but more often than not, they're 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 feeling good and they're they're doing good, right? Yeah. Whatever yeah. we call that, cool with me. And it makes sense. Flourishing doesn't make sense as encapsulating all those things you just said. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I would rather much rather be flourishing than languishing. That's for sure. Sure, <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Awesome. Cool, cool. I can definitely see that this this vision of self actualization as an aim of education being important mm. and a subject of much discussion. I'd love to hear about your work on this when you when you develop it further. Yeah, um, you got to keep us in the loop, Scott. Like, let us know how we might help or, you know, yeah. collaborate, whatever it might be. But there's, it sounds like cool stuff. So we'll talk, we'll talk more. We do want to be respectful of your time. We typically oh. have one sort of quick, like, quote unquote, signature question. Can we throw that out to you real quick? And of just get course. A quick of response? Course. Of course. Right. Well, yeah, so we're going to change this up today, which is great because usually we ask our guests, Scott, the flourishing question. And it's, it takes the form usually, what's the one lesson on flourishing you want our listeners to walk away with and what might be a practical step for putting that lesson to action? But in your case, it seems that we should replace the word flourishing with one, two, or three words or phrases. Uh, what's the one lesson on self-actualization and slash or transcendence and slash or fulfillment of potential you want our listeners to walk away with 
and what might be a practical step putting that lesson into action. I feel so insolent today. It's great. It's perfect. We am need I too, it. Am I too, am I too insolent? No, no, no. This is great, Scott. Yeah. This is this is multiple levels under you and Sam Harris. So we're we're we'll just edit, edit it. <laughs> we'll edit it down and it'll be like a 12-minute episode. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Um, no, obviously you're joking, but um yeah, uh yeah, you'll just like edit out all the things to put you'll just have me say, I'm okay with the word flourish. I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather flourish than not than you know be uh, unflourishing. <laughs> no, no, no. We'll have a first bleep on an expletive for Nick as well. It'll be a you need, expletive, 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 yeah. you need the expletive bleep. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, to answer your question, do you kind of want like practical takeaways? Is that it? Well, it's, it's kind of thoughts? a twofold. It's kind of a, two, a twofold question. It's like, what's a lesson and what's a practical step forward putting into action? Scott, what we're trying to do with this show ultimately mm. is make sure that that good research, good science can get distilled to the common listener so that they can put it into practice in some way, shape, or form, right? We want to help. We want to make yeah. it tangible. Beautiful. With that lens in mind, what would you tell somebody? What do you tell people? I tell people to treat others like they're sunsets. You know, let people unfold in their own direction, in their own developmental trajectory, and guide them guide them towards making the growth choices but don't don't force people to conform to some preconceived idea of what it means to flourish or some preconceived idea of even self actualization right i think people are you know well um carl rogers said this you know people are beautiful if you let them be well, <laughs> mo- most most there's some people you know we won't talk about those people, but um, but most people are beautiful if you let them be. I'm joking, but 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 they are most people. They, people, you know, and and only within and within yourself, with your own self actualization journey, you're you're not going to feel whole if you're constantly inhibiting certain parts of yourself that that want to be actualized, um, constantly inhibiting them because you the way you think you should be or who you think you should be will only backfire you know uh, self-actualization really is is kind of bringing all this stuff into the forefront of consciousness um, and integrating them and and regulating them in ways that are most positive oh no I shouldn't say positive that are most productive <laughs> and constructive I like those words better <laughs> constructive and uh, and growth oriented right it's all about growth at the end of the day and uh, we can bring everything to the table for growth Awesome. Treat nice. people as sunsets. I really love that. That'll be that'll yeah. be the uh, the teaser for the episode for sure. That was awesome. So beautiful. Like as uh, as Carl Rogers said, like you don't watch a sunset and say, "Oh, I wish I could move the top right part in a little bit more." It would look. It's nice, but it'd be so much nicer if I could rotate it thirty degrees. You just watch <laughs> the sunset unfold. Yeah. Beautiful. Perfect. Cool. I love that. Awesome. Uh, SBK, thanks, man. Really appreciate you taking the time. Know how busy you are. It, it honestly, it means a great deal that you would you would do us this solid and take the time and just talk shop with us. And my um, pleasure. Really, I really appreciate it. it. I have immense respect for you guys. It was wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Let's keep up the convo. Um, and really, yeah. nice to meet you, John. Really no, love. It was an honor to meet you, Scott. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Awesome. All right. All right. I'm gonna go we'll eat lunch. Talk to you soon. Bye. Be well. See you.
Huge thanks to all of you for listening to today's show. If you like what you heard, please share it with friends, family, colleagues, and be sure to leave us a five-star review. Uh, You can also find us on all social media platforms. Uh, We've got our own YouTube channel, and you can check out our website at flourishfnpodcast.com. We'd also love to hear from you. There's a survey in the show notes you can complete where you can complete any suggestions on guests you'd like to hear us interview or particular topics or themes you'd like to hear us talk about. We'd love to hear your feedback on that. So your feedback would be greatly appreciated if you could fill out that form. Until next time, thank you very much for joining us today. And keep putting in the work.